It's the 30th of September, 2021. So right from the moment that we wake up in the morning, we're constantly receiving these sense impressions. So what kind of sense impressions are there? What's the sights that come in through the eye and the sounds that enter through the ears? and the odors that come in through the nose, the tastes that enter through the tongue, the tactile sensations, the contact, the body, and then the mind which receives these Dhamma Aramanas. And these are this last kind, they're the Aramana, these sense impressions which appear within the mind itself. They may be memories, it may be thoughts, proliferation, of the meritorious or the demeritorious kind. And so these are all Aramanas. So we need to be cautious at this point. And this very point is the place where the practice occurs. So we need to have mindfulness here, this quality of recollection. And when these sense impressions have made contact, when the mind receives them and um, is aware of them already, And then what is that like? And we need to study this point. We need to practice right here at this point. At the beginning of the practice, it's natural and normal that when the mind receives these sense impressions, then it will either be attracted or averse towards them. And then it will get involved in proliferation uh, due to um, that emotion or upon that feeling. And what empowers that, what gives that power? Well, it's the ignorance, the craving, and the clinging there within the mind. And so when this is the case, we need to train, we need to practice. Just like we've been chanting uh, the verse on the Eightfold Noble Path. And so this comes down to sila, samadhi, and panya, this virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. And it's the path that frees beings from suffering. The Arya Maga, this noble path. So there are many paths in this world. There are paths that planes take through the sky, and there are train tracks, there's highways and roads that uh, buses and cars and trucks use. And there are many, many different kinds of vehicles And perhaps in the future, we will develop even faster ones. But all of these can just take us in this world. They're just paths here in this world. If we sit in a vehicle, it's just physicality and mentality that's sitting there. It's just a heap of stress, a heap of change of stress and not self, a heap of decay. And whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, no matter where we travel to in this world, it's just a heap of decay that's traveling. So when we receive sense impressions, perhaps we like them, perhaps we dislike them. But we should observe them and see how all of these feelings, they've arisen and they've ceased already. We look at this body and see how this too is something which is constantly arising and ceasing. 
And just like our breath, it comes in and then it goes out, doesn't it? There's this in-breath and then a short pause and then there's the out-breath. And it's constantly coming in and going out, arising and ceasing in this way. And when it's arising and ceasing um, like that, well, that's just the nature of things to be that way. It's the nature of this body. But the thing is that we don't observe that. We don't look at it. We don't study it. So we don't see it as arising and ceasing. And due to that, we don't understand the Dhamma. We don't understand how all things are of the nature to decay, that that's their reality, to be that way. And it's quite difficult to see that nature of deterioration in more subtle things, in the subtle or smaller parts of the body. But what we can see um, is this breath, the nature of arising, staying and ceasing of this breath. It's something that's easy to observe. So when our minds are firmly established in this quality of samadhi, then we can use that mind to contemplate the nature of this body and seeing it as being a heap of change and stress and not self, a pile of something that isn't beautiful, a collection of elements. And this is something that we all are able to do. We can see it as a heap of elements, a heap of something which isn't beautiful. And in the end we see that fall apart and then wisdom arises. So viewing the body as a collection of elements, as a suba, something unattractive, this is samatha, this calming meditation. But when the mind gains energy, and that energy reaches a state of completion, then the practice comes to the point of anatta, of not-self. We see the nature of decay. We see how it's not-self. So this is wisdom arising. So we all have this path of practice and something that we need to take up, we need to train, we need to walk this noble path because this is the path which is able to take our minds out of suffering. There are many, many different roads and paths in this world and they've been here for a long time. In days gone by, they used paths uh, to walk on or maybe there were roads for carts and wagons. And steadily, humanity has developed, our technologies have developed. But still, everyone, all people, we are born and then we all must die. We're still stuck in the cycle of birth and death, and coming and going, traveling between birth and death like this. And so even though we travel on these paths, we're never freed from suffering. But this noble path, that which can take us out of something, out of suffering, is something which is not easy to meet with. And the Buddha needed to build up Burmi for an extremely long uh, period of time in order to find this path. So for us, we're very fortunate to be able to meet with his teachings even 2,564 years after his passing. This path to the freedom from suffering, it's still here. It's something that we can still chant together. So this gives us a lot of goodness, a lot of benefit, chanting in this way. And perhaps when we chant, then our hearts fill up with happiness. We become very contented.
we recollect the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and then we come to contemplate this conditioned uh, body of us. So when we practice like this consistently, then we will become people who are wise, become those who see the drawbacks, the danger in the cycle of samsara. And it's possible to take samsara as being something which occurs within our hearts. When the heart gets involved in attraction or aversion, when it gives rise to states of fear and love and hate, you see how these come up throughout the entire day. They're always arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing in the heart from the moment that we wake up right until nighttime. There's always this becoming and birth which is occurring. And so this is samsara, Um, operating within the hearts. And when it's like this, then there's always suffering there within the heart as well. So then what do we do? How can we reduce this? How can we lessen it? And it's not the case that we free ourselves from suffering just at one go, that we just suddenly attain to arahantship. But this freedom from suffering, it happens little by little. So we need to observe suffering and ask ourselves, what is it that causes it? It comes about due to right, due to wrong views, due to the proliferation upon wrong views. And so it's natural and normal that this occurs for us. When we're practicing, um, then there's proliferation which occurs within the heart. And so we have mindfulness there. We have this recollection. We have sampajanya, this clear comprehension, knowing what's going on. If the mind's thinking, if it's proliferating, then what's it thinking about? And so we practice like this. But we see that even though we may have everything, even though we may have a lot of happiness, it's still something which isn't sure. The benefits that generosity and virtue give us is heaven, that we experience heaven. That when we are kind, when we sacrifice, when we are virtuous, then we experience heaven. And that's the benefit of dana and sila. And we have faith in a heart. And we practice, we try to develop these hearts. But just having this generosity and this virtue, it doesn't give us the wisdom to free ourselves from suffering. We also need to see the drawbacks in these things as well. How this happiness, it's something which changes, it's something which isn't sure. Or the ease that we find in the body right now, this too is something which isn't sure. This is something which deteriorates every single day. And what permanent lasting thing can we find in this world? And we can ask ourselves, well, how long are we going to live? Will we live to the age of 80? Well, that's not sure. Perhaps we have the merit to live even longer than that. But there are very few people who live past the age of 90. It's very few. And if people do live to an age older than that, it shows that they've got a lot of merit. Uh, But in this present day and age, um, perhaps we live up to the age of 80, and that's the age that the Buddha reached. But really following the tenets of Buddhism, um, that every hundred years, after the life of the Buddha, then the average life expectancy reduces by one year. 
And so it's 2,500 years have passed. And so uh, we're down to 75 years now. So that means that if we live to the age of 80, that means we've had a long life already. If we live to 90, that's extremely long. If it's 100, then that's very, very long. So those who live to the age of 80 or 90 or more, this is something to be quite proud of. If we live past 75, then that means that we're already kind of running on extra time. We're already, this is a great profit for us. So we should try to use that time to build up goodness, to not be heedless, even in the happiness that we get. Because even though we may be experiencing heaven, that too is something which isn't sure. So we should see the dangers in that, the drawbacks in that, how it's something that changes, and something which we can't depend on. So it's similar to Venerable Yasa, who was a child born in the city of Varanasi, and someone who had a lot of merit, a lot of barami. And he could enter into first jhana just by contemplating a suba. It shows how much barami he had, and that he cultivated this for a very long time, uh, eventually became one of the great disciples of the Buddha. And so he was born into this wealthy family. Uh, but when he, his barami reached completion, then he looked at the surrounds, the things around him, and um, he saw that the people who were sleeping around him, that they seemed to be just like corpses, and just like corpses tossed away in a cremation ground. He saw them in terms of their unattractive nature. And so, usually these people would be considered very beautiful people, but due to the wisdom that he had, and he was able to see them as being unattractive. He could see the drawbacks in their bodies. He could see how this was a situation that was very chaotic, um, a situation that was frightening. So even though he had everything that he needed, all in the state of completion, we ask himself, so why is it so chaotic like this? He saw these people as being unattractive, and he asked himself, well, where can I find happiness then? So deep down in his heart, he wanted this peace. And so he walked out from his house and then went into the deer park. And it was a very large park. And But eventually, as he was walking, he came across the Buddha. And the Buddha called him over by his name and said, Yasa, here it's not chaotic, here it's not frightening. And so he listened to the Dhamma, and the Dhamma that the Buddha taught him firstly was about generosity and virtue, and how this brings us heaven. And he understood the teachings of the Buddha in stages. And as his Bharami reached a state of fullness, then the Buddha taught him further. He taught him about the drawbacks in these things, how they're not sure, are there things that change, until he became weary with them. There was no more delight in those things. And so the Buddha carried on teaching him. And 
when his heart was uh, peaceful and entered into a state of samadhi, then all of that former kind of aggravation and chaos uh, disappeared. And so the Buddha taught him about the noble truths of dukkha, the cause of dukkha at cessation, and the path leading to the cessation. And through that, he became a sotapanna. So for us, we're in a similar situation, that we have all that we need in our lives. And so we should contemplate, contemplate the feelings which come up within our hearts. What are they like? Or why do we feel chaotic? And so perhaps we feel some states of peace, but there are also some times when we don't feel peaceful as well, when we feel suffering. And if there's suffering coming up, then we know that that's because of wrong view. The suffering can only appear because our views are incorrect. And then when our views are incorrect, then our intention will be wrong as well. There'll be liking and disliking coming up. And this liking or this attraction is karma sukhali yoga. And this disliking is atakilanatama yoga. So then what should we do? And how can we make our views right? But if these views are incorrect, um, then our recollection, our mindfulness will be incorrect, our speech will be incorrect, our actions will be incorrect, everything goes wrong. So we need then to have mindfulness and knowing that our views are this way. That if there's any unskillful state, then we need to try to abandon that. And as practitioners, we need to put an effort to abandon these things. If there are good states, then we put in our efforts to care for them and to bring up unarisen skillful states. And for the unskillful states which have yet to arise, we should put an effort so that they don't arise. And we can practicing like this. And so we bring up our mindfulness in this way, constantly putting in our effort. And then as we do that, then eventually we'll gain the wisdom that will allow us to gain victory. That will allow our minds to abide above all of these sense impressions. And even though initially this just happens temporarily, you still see emptiness, a temporary emptiness. You see into the nature of not-self temporarily. And it may just be a glimpse that we gain, but we see clearly and we gain this understanding. So having gained understanding in this way, then we carry on putting in our efforts, carry on practicing. We've seen already, we've known already, that it really is like this, these things do exist. And so then, when the mind reaches the state where it's not attached and experiences a great happiness that comes from seeing emptiness, and it's a different type of happiness than what we've experienced before, and the happiness that comes from sights and sounds and tastes that we like, for example. It's even different from the happiness that we gain from building up goodness, the happiness, the joy that comes. And initially this may just be a small amount of samadhi, um, when the joy comes together. But as we carry on practicing, then it develops into uh, upajara samadhi, this neighborhood samadhi, and then apana, access, samadhi. 
And here there's a real fullness of heart. And then we just carry on putting in our efforts and practicing further and seeing all things as being empty in this way. And so through this, then, we can see Nibbāna, just a little Nibbāna, and we gain confidence in this path of practice, gain confidence in this noble path, and see the samadhi and panya, that it really is like this, that it does give us these results. And so we set our hearts on this path, we bring up our faith, bring up effort, and really try to get there. You get this feeling that we need to reach Nibbāna, that we really need to throw everything we have into this practice. And looking internally, because if we look externally, that's the cause for suffering to arise. So we should look inside, because suffering arises due to the wrong views that we have. And so we try like this, and then we can gain insight, we can gain understanding. So even though the Buddha passed into final Nibbāna already, if we practice following this path, following his teachings, then we can see the Dhamma. And through that, then we realize this inner Buddha, this inner nature of awakening. But even if we were very close to the Buddha, or even if we stay very close to Arahants, but we don't practice, we don't um, develop ourselves on this path, then we won't see the Dhamma. So there was a simile that Lumpur Cha occasionally gave. He said it was like a frog that's sitting there guarding and staring at a lotus. And there are bees and dragonflies that come along and they take the nectar from that lotus and they eat it. But the frog, it doesn't have the wisdom to do that. It just sits there and stares at it. So Lung would teach in this way. He said that sometimes people stayed for a very long time, and stayed with him for a very long time, and after a while they became like those frogs. And those who were like the bees or the dragonflies were very few. And so for us, we've been born into this life, and we sh- we've met with this path of practice already. So we shouldn't be like that frog. We should be like the bees and the dragonflies. We should be ones who have set our hearts on being generous, virtuous, and cultivating these minds, on training these minds. And when our mind thinks something, then we shouldn't believe it. When it proliferates, then we shouldn't believe it. And we tell ourselves, this is not sure. You say to it, don't lie to me, don't trick me. And when we know these things in time, when our mindfulness is up to speed with them, then we let them go. So we should look at our lives just during this day, and what things have deteriorated during the space of this day. And perhaps there are things that we like, and things that we love, but these things are not sure. And they deteriorate as well, don't they? You see how the days, the nights, they pass by, they pass by. And maybe we can um, see how old we are now and then think, well, if we die at the age of 80, then how long do we have left? 
We may be infatuated with things in this world. Uh, we may have a lot of liking towards them, but we should see how we're not able, and no one is able, to take anything of this world beyond this world. And so we should train ourselves on this path, and so that we gain knowledge, and so that we can see the Dhamma within this very life. And then we can take that Dhamma as a refuge when we pass away from this world. So may all of you set your hearts on this.